This podcast features graphic content that may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Hello again, Nightmare Society. Gather round for a special Thanksgiving episode of True Horror Stories. As a reminder, this will be my last episode of the year. I'm going to take a short break and come back for my birthday in the first week of January 2022. If you're already panicking about having no episodes for the next several weeks, you could be like Max J and be the newest member of the Nightmare Society online campfire over at patreon.com. Thanks so much for your support, Max, and thanks for being a faithful listener. We're so glad to have you. At patreon.com slash nightmare society, you can join in for as little as a dollar a month. We've got different levels of membership and different perks for each, including a $5 a month tier, which for just around the cost of one tall pumpkin spice frappuccino, you get access to our archive of bonus episodes, as well as commercial-free early releases of the regular episodes. Also, a huge thanks goes to our contributors, user Gracha and user MATL518, who were both nice enough to share their stories with us tonight. Now, get comfy. And prepare yourself for another episode of The Nightmare Society. Connor has a girlfriend who lives a few hours away, and her mom reads all her texts, so they generally stick to Skype. Well, after a while, his girlfriend, Ellie, wants to introduce him to her Skype friends. This is a group of people who met in various places across the internet who have those awful cluster mess of chats that you can't keep up with. Then she introduces him to Jack. Jack is the epicenter of the group. Connor mentions him to me in passing a few times over about a month, and then he finally messages me one night and says, I need to talk to you. So we talk, and he tells me what Jack's been saying. Jack is what I like to refer to as a liar, crazy, legit. And I estimate the odds of each of those at 50-49-1. See, Jack claimed to be a supernatural being, which I'd normally laugh off. Except, he's got a group of hapless people convinced of this. And Connor describes the group dynamics and its red flags all around for controlling behavior. And, well, it's sort of my specialty dealing with people like Jack. But Connor doesn't want to stir up trouble, because he's non-confrontational. I don't have similar inhibitions. So one night, Connor invites me to the group chat, 
which is ominously dubbed The Truth. Cults have a collective belief in varying levels in something. In this case, the truth about Jack. The first thing anyone says to me is, did you get Jack's permission? Every alarm bell in my system goes off. Connor and I are both playing dumb. Slowly, hesitantly, a few other members of the group, all strangers to me, start saying hello. Not welcoming me. Not asking me how I know Connor. Not trying to explain that the chat is kind of private. Just saying tentative hellos. The girl who first demanded to know if Jack gave me permission to join announces that she's asked Jack if I'm allowed to stay. Connor, meanwhile, is messaging me about group dynamics. The only non-believer Connor knows of is King, who's vocal about his problems with Jack. I talk to King, who tells me that the other person who doesn't believe is the girl who challenged me about entering the group. Red flag number one. Someone who doesn't believe Jack is still the first to challenge outsiders. Cults do not appreciate outsiders. That's about when Jack arrives. He's likable. Don't get me wrong. He's good at what he does. I think for about 30 minutes that he's too good for me to be of any use. But I'm a writer, so I can commit to a character pretty well, and he buys into my Southern Bell act. Once he invites me to a private chat, I'm immediately told that I can ask him anything, without fear of repercussions. Dude lives 600 miles from me, what the heck kind of repercussions could there be? So I talk to King and the girl who challenged me, and it turns out he's doing something else that's seen in cults. He's using threats and fear to get people to obey him. Something about being sold into magical slavery if he doesn't protect them. I'm going to pause here and say the people who don't believe Jack are the most emotionally stable ones. There are abuse victims and depressed teenagers in this little group. They're smart, but they have two options. Believe Jack or lose friends. Anyway... Back to the circle of creepy, Jack's Skype mood is, quote, going to kill my brother. I inquire. He tells me that his brother stabbed him with a sword and sides with their father, whom Jack hates. Half of this guy's lore comes from the Dresden Files. For a creepy would-be cult leader, he really sucks at lying. So I mark him down for dysfunctional IRL family and possible violent tendencies. I then lure Jack into a trap. I won't bore you with the details, but I get irrevocable screenshotted proof that he's a lying liar who lies, not delusional and not legit. I let Jack know the jig is up. His retaliation? He decides he should ban me and Connor from the group. But before he can, I go off on a nice little tangent in the group chat about a Criminal Minds episode where a cult leader kicks out anyone who challenges him, lest the others be swayed. Jack is pissed at me. Really pissed. Like, I hope this MFer can't trace my IP address or I am dead. Angry. But it doesn't end there. 
No. Jack returns to the group with a sob story and I let him stew, because I've been slowly working my way through the group, ripping off the Jack is a liar who lies and manipulates and really you should not tell this guy your real name, no, really, band-aid. I go talk to King, who tells me that his fellow non-believer, Challenger, has a picture of Jack's ID. Because I believe in having leverage, I do some totally legal digging into this guy, who has an unfortunately unique surname. Dear Jack's mum, you should really change your Facebook security settings. Some fun facts about Jack. His little brother is a jock. Better looking, mesomorph body, athletic, popular. Jack is none of those things. His mom stops talking about her eldest son quite suddenly. No more pictures of Jack. Not a single mention of Jack since he was 18. So I made note of it and moved on with my background check. But then I noticed something. An arrest. Not unusual except before the arrest date, he and his brother are equally pictured in their mom's Facebook. And then nothing. I can't figure it out until I'm talking to Jack, distracting him and letting him talk himself in circles. I see his mood again. Gonna kill my brother. Dear God, I think, remembering that every lie holds a kernel of truth. He actually has a brother he wants to kill. I ask him why he was arrested, even though I feel it in my gut that I'm right. Assault, he says. Assault. On whom? My brother. I need confirmation on a few other things before I present the facts to the group, still called The Truth, even as more and more members sit behind their computers marveling at the irony. So I keep talking to him, to make sure that I had the right Jack, that I'm not dealing with a catfish creep. We video chatted. It is him, mugshot and ID confirm. He keeps asking me questions. Where do I live? I say north of you. What do I do for a living? I say vaguely consult. How old am I? 17. What's your full name? No. I, like Jack, have one of those last names that are incredibly rare. He could find it if he googled me. At any point, Jack could do five minutes of googling and find my full name. First, middle, and last. Anyway, I told the group chat about Jack lying that day and shut down his manipulative attempts to garner sympathy. Now he says he's dying and his father's a mobster and his brother is his adoptive brother. Except there's no one around for this equally BS story. He's trying to convince me and just me. Growing up in the mountains of North Georgia, camping and hiking were things me and my brother did so often it was second nature. So anytime Ryan and I had a break from school, we would head straight for the woods. We packed our gear, let our parents know where we were going, and that was that. No questions asked. We decided to camp about midway through Jack's River Trail in the Cahuta Wilderness and it's a trail we knew fairly well as we had used it a few times before to practice long hikes. 
we arrived at the trailhead around lunchtime, parked the car, got our gear out, and headed into the woods. We passed a few hikers as we moved along and asked them how the trail looked, and the answer was always the same. Wet. Jack's River Trail probably crossed the river 50 times as it went along the 17-mile-plus journey, and with the colder temperatures of late fall settling in, it was harder for the trail to stay dry. We moved deeper into the trail and started to look for a place to camp. This was where Ryan and I made our first mistake. You see, we have this rule. We don't camp near people at all if possible. Call us paranoid, but the last thing we want is for someone to drag us out of our tents and into the woods to never be seen again. So we always camped a pretty decent ways off the trail and in the area that was not popular with overnight camping. After roughly two and a half hours or so, we found what we thought was the perfect place to set up for the two nights that we would be out. We came up to Horseshoe Bend and ventured about a half mile off into the trail, into a clearing and set up. We built a teepee fire lay for that night and pitched our tents on either side. After setting up and unloading, we decided to walk back to the trail and go exploring around some of the many swimming holes Jack's River had to offer. This was during Thanksgiving break and I remember being surprised at how few people were on the trail. Maybe it was the weather or the fact that this was early in the week, but there didn't seem to be anyone hiking, much less staying the night. Around 5 o'clock, Ryan and I headed back to our camp to start our fire, make dinner, and settle in for the night. As soon as the sun began to set, the cold rushed in. We had added more wood to the fire, sat close, and just enjoyed conversation. Ryan was two years behind me in school. I was a senior and he was a sophomore, but growing up we had always been close. We always hung out in the same groups, played the same sports, had the same hobbies, etc. Around nine, we were settled comfortably around the fire. I had just texted our mom to let her know we were safe and getting ready for bed. And I remember we were talking about dreading going to our grandparents' house for Thanksgiving and having the same awkward conversations we had each year with family we only saw on holidays. That's when things started to get strange. We were no stranger to sounds in the woods, and these woods were full of animals, from deer to black bears and even the random wild boar. If you're in the woods enough, you learn to distinguish certain sounds, and what we were hearing I can only chalk up to as odd. What Ryan and I heard was what sounded like someone sneaking around slowly just out of eyesight. With an animal walking on four legs, you hear a tighter group of steps. But what we were hearing sounds very distinct to what a human sounds like when they're walking slowly or trying to move without making much sound. I remember we both pulled out our flashlights and shone it in the direction we felt the sounds were coming from. But that's what was so weird. Whenever we would fix our lights on a spot we thought the sound was coming from, the location of the sound would suddenly change. It was as if there were multiple people walking around us. That's when the whistling started. 
At first, I thought it was the wind, and I remember thinking maybe the wind is just throwing leaves around, and what we're hearing is nothing but the wilderness around us. Ryan looked at me and asked if I was hearing that. I didn't answer and was trying to focus hard on each individual sound. Two consecutive notes with roughly a three to four second gap, and then two more consecutive notes, over and over again. Ryan kept asking if I heard that, and I put my finger to my lips trying to keep him from talking. The fear I felt was incredible. My jaw was tight. My fists clenched, knowing I wasn't ready for whatever was out there, if it was anything at all. The whistling continued for what felt like forever, but thinking it through was maybe five minutes when Ryan finally yelled out into the darkness, Hey! quiet. The whistling stopped. The crunching of the wood stopped. Nothing. I was mad. I looked at Ryan with a what the heck look and he shrugged his shoulders. He said he had to do something. I just shook my head. We sat there in silence for a few minutes when the woods erupted with noise. Something or someone was running in a circle around our campsite. The whistling came back two consecutive notes with the same three to four second gap, and then two more consecutive notes. How could someone whistle this loudly without cracking while also running? I was done. I stood up, shining my flashlight in all directions, trying to catch a glimpse of whatever was screwing with us. Nothing. It felt close enough to touch, but we never saw a thing. That's when the movement stopped but the whistling was still constant. It was so loud. Inhumanly loud. I looked at Ryan and told him to call the police. Now, this is the part I'll never forget. The part I never like to talk about. While Ryan was on the phone with a dispatcher and telling them our location and what was going on, I stepped around the fire towards my tent. Inside my bag, I had a 6-inch fixed blade that I always carried, and I thought I would feel a bit more comfortable with it in my hand, more than just my flashlight. As I went to unzip my tent, trying to keep my eyes towards the woods, I heard some movement directly in front of me. I swept my light in front of me, and for maybe two seconds, I saw it. Whatever this person or thing was... It was about five feet up in a tree. Everything about it was long. Its arms, legs, neck, fingers, everything. And it was fast. As soon as the light hit it, it launched backwards off of the tree. I heard it land, but it either jumped in an impossible distance or landed in a thicket because I heard it, but never saw. I don't think I ever yelled so loud in my entire life. I ran back to where Ryan was and sat down. He kept asking me what I saw, but I couldn't answer. I just kept thinking about what I saw. Maybe ten minutes later, we saw a couple of flashlight beams coming through the woods, and about three guys came into view asking if everything was okay. I settled a bit and started asking them if they had seen or heard anything. All they said was that they heard a lot of movement and then heard my scream and that's when they headed in our direction. I tried to explain what had happened without sounding crazy, but it didn't seem to work. 
One of the guys walked around a bit and came back and said that he didn't see anything. Ryan told them that we called the police and roughly 30 minutes later a park ranger showed up. Ryan and I tried explaining everything to him but he just chalked it up to either a curious animal or some campers trying to mess with us. Either way, Ryan and I decided we weren't staying the night. We packed up our stuff and walked out of the woods with the ranger. He took our statement and we got in our car and drove home. Ryan and I don't talk about what happened that night, but neither of us have been back to Jack's River Trail and will probably never go back again. Thanks so much for listening, and until next year. Sweet dreams.